Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for just the move of the Spirit we've already sensed in our time of worship as we sing. Lord, I pray that you would just continue in our hearts, Father, to work and to speak. I pray as we open up the truth of your word that we would hear from you, that the Spirit would be fresh and new and exciting to us, Lord, that you would impact our lives and our hearts in ways that we don't even understand. And I pray you do great things in our midst this morning. Father, I pray as we study the truth of your word, we will be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. I think it's important always as we're walking through this sermon series to kind of look at the big picture and just be reminded of kind of where we're going and especially where we've been. Abram up to this point has been called. He's gone to the promised land. He's experienced famine and gone to Egypt. He's sold his wife, basically, lying about her to Pharaoh. He received a lot of money for that, a lot of wealth, a lot of riches. Pharaoh realized at some point that this was actually his wife and not his sister. He was kicked out of Egypt. He went back to Canaan. And then last week we saw that he called on the name of the Lord again. He found the altar that he had built. And we see because of his wealth and his riches that he and his Nephew Lot have disagreed. There's not enough room for the cattle. There's not enough room for all the animals. The herdsmen are arguing about who ought to have the grazing land. And so what we see is that Abram acts in a very godly way. And he says, Lot, you can take whatever land you want. If you want the right, I'll take the left. If you want the left, I'll take the right. So he, he acts appropriately. He walks by faith. And Lot, on the other hand, walks by sight. Now, this is going to be important for us because Lot is going to migrate down toward, we looked at the map last week, the southern part of the Dead Sea, down toward the area of Sodom and Gomorrah, and you're probably familiar with those two towns. We'll get to what's going to happen with him later, but it's important because he's going to migrate down toward that area, and he's going to live by sight. In other words, he's going to make decisions based on what he wants to do, what he thinks is best, not seeking the will of the Lord. And I challenged you last week. I challenge you to live your life by faith, not by sight. So we're going to do something a little bit different this morning, something we hadn't done at this, up to this point in our study. There are certain chapters throughout the book of Genesis that we're going to kind of fast forward through. Not that they're not important, but they're things I think we can kind of summarize quickly and, and, and get into the story we want to talk about. it. So I'm going to summarize this morning 14 and 15. And then we're going to delve into chapter 16 and really spend some time studying there. So if you've got your Bibles and you're looking at chapter 14, Genesis 14, for some of you, may be entitled, The War of the Kings. You may remember that Lot and Abram and their families are not the only people that lived in the promised land at this time. There are other leaders, there are other kings, there are other rulers. And in Genesis 14, there's a war. You could read about the different kings, king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zor, on and on the list goes. And all these kings have a battle, they have a war, they fight. And that may not seem important to you, 
But the significance of their battle is found in verses 11 and 12 of Genesis chapter 14. Here's what the Bible says. So the four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, and they went away, right? So they took everything after the war is over, after the battle's over. They go away, verse 12. They also carried off Abram's nephew, Lot, and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Now we see this interesting thing take place, right? Abram and Lot have separated Lot has looked at and he's seen the plain and he's seen the land is good. He's made this decision to kind of migrate in that area. But when we finished our study last week, he had not moved into the city of Sodom. Now we read about this account of the war. We see that these kings have seized Lot and seized his possessions and all that were with him. And the Bible tells us at this moment that he's actually living in the city of Sodom. He allowed his sight... And his worldly desires and pleasures to move him closer and closer and closer into the belly of the beast. And we'll see that here in just a few weeks. But the Bible tells us that Abram gets word of Lot's capture. And so he takes 318 of his trained men. These are people that are living with him from his family. He goes and he rescues his nephew Lot. Now it's interesting because we've seen this already and we're going to see it again. Where the man that lives by faith has to rescue the man that lives by sight. (laughs) Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you've been the person that lives by faith and you've had to step in to help that person that's living by sight. Or maybe you're the person that's lived by sight and you've had to have that person that lives by faith rescue you. And so we see Abram step up and he takes his men and he he literally fights this battle. He rescues his nephew Lot and he brings him back out of captivity. Now the end of chapter 14 is very interesting because we have this figure that appears in the latter verses of the 14th chapter. The priest Melchizedek. Now I'm not going to talk a lot about Melchizedek but I spent a lot of time this week reading. In fact I kind of initially thought I would spend some time talking about Melchizedek because he's a type of Christ. He looks ahead to who Jesus is going to be. But the interesting thing about Melchizedek is there's just a little bit written about him in Genesis 14. If you want to read a lot about him, you go to Hebrews chapter 5, 6, and 7. He's mentioned extensively there and he's talked about it. So we see kind of a type of Christ in Melchizedek. But the war ends and we fast forward now to Genesis 15 beginning in verse 1. And I want to read these six verses. These are important for the context of what we're going to be looking at today. Genesis chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. After this, after the battle had been fought, after Abram goes and rescues Lot, after Melchizedek has come, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said... You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, now here's the reminder of the promise. Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. So we see this reminder in the beginning of chapter 15 of the promise of the covenant 
of all the Lord is going to do for Abram. And then the end of chapter 15 is this sacrifice that's made as a reminder of God's faithfulness. So now we're going to pick up in chapter 16. We're going to pick up in verse 1 and we're going to study through this chapter this morning. And let me just remind you. Coming out of 14 and 15 now, we've been reminded again of the power of the Lord. We've been reminded of the promise of the Lord. We've been reminded that he's going to make Abram a great nation and give him many descendants. Now, Genesis chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. So Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. This is Hagar despising Sarah. Then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now she knows she's pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Verse 6, your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Now we're going to stop there for a few minutes and I want to make a point based on these first six verses. Number one, sometimes the Lord waits. Sometimes the Lord waits. Now I want to give you some truth that I want to think through for the next little while right out of these passages of scripture and something that we see over and over in other parts of the Bible. God's timing is not always our timing. And God's plan is not always our plan. Our calling is not to fix or rush God's plan. It's to trust that he knows best. Now I got a feeling there are people in this congregation this morning that are struggling with an issue. Maybe you're not quite sure what to do. Maybe you're not exactly sure of a decision that should be made. Maybe there's something that's upcoming that you're struggling with. Maybe it's a job situation, a family situation. Maybe it's medical. And it's very easy for us as we read these passages of Scripture and as we talk about our lives, if we're not in the middle of difficult circumstances, it's very easy for us to think and talk about patience, isn't it? But when we find ourselves in difficult situations... Usually the bigger the decision or the bigger the event, sometimes the less and less patient we become. Because our tendency is to fix things quickly. Our tendency is to rush through things and make sure they're done when we want them done. Now I think it's important to remember this morning the promises of the Lord. And so I'm not going to read all these to you, but I just want to read you the references. Since our study began in Genesis chapter 12 and the Lord first called on Abram, we see multiple different times when the Lord has called Abram and remind him of the promises that he's made. Genesis 12 too, he says he's going to make him into a great nation and bless him. 
Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, he says, to your offspring, I'm going to give this land. Genesis chapter 13, verses 15 through 16, all the land that you see, I will give you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anybody could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Genesis chapter 15, we read a few minutes ago, verse 5, where God says, if you'll go outside and look up in the sky and count all the stars, if indeed you can count them, then that will be your offspring. We've seen multiple different times, multiple different examples where the Lord has said to Abram, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you this land, and I'm going to give you more descendants than you can count. So the promise is clear. But here's the problem. Abram and Sarah don't yet have a child. And so all the promises that have been made appear at this point, at least in Scripture, to Abram and Sarah as if the Lord's not telling the truth. It's kind of like the Lord has written a check he can't cash. (laughs) I'm going to give you all this stuff. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you these possessions. I'm going to give you all of these descendants, yet there's no child yet. And so Sarah and Abram reach this point of decision. They find themselves in a very difficult situation. Now I know, as I said a few minutes ago, there are people in our congregation today that are struggling with issues. You can kind of fill in the blank of the things you're struggling with. And I got a feeling if we could kind of go around the room and talk about the issues you were struggling with, oftentimes you would say, if these things could just happen, or if I could just kind of fast forward through these next few weeks or months or years, if I could just kind of speed the process up, everything would be okay. And so I just want to notice a couple of things this morning. I want to notice a couple of things about the way that Abram and Sarah understood this challenge. And I want to speak a little bit of truth into your life because here's what some people do. If we're not careful when we come to a difficult time in our lives when we need patience and we need to trust in the Lord. If we're not careful as we begin to pray that the Lord would work, the longer it takes the Lord to work and the less patience we have and the more we struggle, I want you to notice a couple of things. Because some people fall into this trap of saying something like this. Lord, I've been praying about this for a long time. And I've been struggling with this for a long time. And I've been asking you to do these things for a long time. And you haven't done anything. Some of us fall into this trap. Lord, what have I done wrong? I've had conversations with people. They say something like this. You know, I I just can't. I can't get this to happen. I've been praying about this and the Lord just doesn't see. What What am I doing wrong? They will say. What what sin have I committed that's keeping the Lord from blessing my life? Well, let me just be very clear with you. Biblically, that's not how the Lord works. The Lord doesn't withhold blessing because of sin. If the Lord withheld blessing because of sin, none of us would ever be blessed, right? So so if you're walking down this path right now and you're struggling and you're, you're struggling for patience and the Lord doesn't seem to be doing what you wished he would do, you don't need to walk down this lie. You don't need to fall into this trap of believing you've done something wrong. Some other people would say something like this, you know, well, I, I'm just not sure if the Lord hears my prayers because I've been struggling and I've been praying for a long time. Okay, maybe I hadn't done something wrong, but maybe the Lord's just not listening to my prayers. Or some other would say something like this, you know, I'm just just struggling with this and I just don't know where God is in this situation. 
I mean, I've been praying, I've been struggling, I mean, I'm, I'm looking for this thing in my life. Maybe, maybe some of you are struggling with this very issue with a child. But I want you to hear truth. And this may be difficult for some of us to hear in the midst of very difficult situations, but sometimes God has a different plan than we have. And that's scary for us, isn't it? Because we think we've got it figured out. Wait a minute, Lord. <laughs> I mean, I've got it, I've got it figured out. I mean, I've already, I've already thought through it and I've talked to some people and I, I've been thinking, and Lord, you're busy with like keeping the universe. You know, I, I've got this or I've got what I've been thinking about. It. I've got this plan, Lord. If you'll just kind of listen to me and do what I ask you to do, then everything will work. And it's scary for us to say, Lord, I, I acknowledge that maybe your plan is better than mine. I acknowledge that maybe I don't quite have it figured out yet. Because here's the truth of Scripture. God's plan is always richer and better than anything we could ever dream of. In fact, the Bible says that to us. Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. God says, if, if you'll just trust me, if you'll just listen to me, if you'll just walk with me, then I promise you my plan is better than anything you could ever hope or imagine. But see, we've got something working against us in our world. We've got the society that tells us we deserve things right now and when we want them, we can just have them. For example, you go to get something to eat, you go through the drive-thru, and if it takes more than about three minutes to get a hamburger, you're mad, right? <laughs> That's the world we live in. I literally went to McDonald's the other day. I was going through the drive-thru. This was, I guess, we went to lunch Saturday afternoon, and I went through the drive-thru, and, and of course, well, the order was not right. That's a whole other story. That's a whole other story. But the, I get to the drive-thru, and they asked me to pull up. Now, in the grand, just pull up, you know, pull up 15 feet and wait. In the grand scheme of life, what's a minute going to call? Nothing. But I was, are you serious? I didn't say that, but I was thinking, a minute, you know. So I pull up and wait. Why? Because we want it now, don't we? We want it right now. We, we live in a world where you can watch a movie on demand. That's the new phrase now, right? I mean, you don't even have to waste the time of driving to the movie theater. You don't, have, you don't have to waste time of getting up and getting dressed. You can just go to your room or your TV and turn it on. And on demand, you can watch whatever you want to watch. You don't even have to, if you're out somewhere and, and need to call somebody, you don't even have to find a pay phone anymore. Kids, if you're under the age of 18, honest question. Under the age of 18, have you ever used a pay phone? Raise your hand. Three? Three of you? If you're over the age of 18 and you use the payphone, raise your hand. See? Right. Okay. We went the other day. There's a building we're looking at for some ministry here in town. The Lord's really blessing us with, and we're not sure we're going to do with it yet. And it's not official, so I didn't really tell you that, right? We'll delete that from the podcast. But we're looking at this building in town, and outside this building, there's an old payphone. And, and my daughter, Abby, was with me, and I was like, Abby, do you know what this is? She was like, I'm not sure. I don't know what that is. Why? Because we, we live in a world where you can take your cell phone out and you can call somebody anytime you want to call them, right? We like things fast. I, I enjoy history. I like reading history. Did you know that 200 years ago, if you wanted to go to Europe, it took you, four, it took you seven to eight weeks to get there in a boat? 
So if you sent a letter to somebody, if, if a family member went to Europe and you wrote them a letter, it'd take them 10 or 12 weeks, three months to get the letter there. They would read it, respond, three months to get back. It'd be six months before you heard from them. I mean, could, could you imagine, really? Six months. Man, we have video chat now that's instant. We live in a world that gives us the things we want now. But spiritual reality check, God doesn't work that way. You say, it sure would be better if he did. <laughs> I mean, but see, here's the, thing, here's the thing we fail to understand. As you're walking down that path struggling, as you're walking down that path dealing with the Lord and listening for him to speak and hoping he will and praying, and as you're walking down that path, you know what's happening to your faith? It's deepening. Your faith is growing. See, what the Lord knows that you don't know is one of the best ways he can grow your faith is by causing you to wait on him. One author said it like this. Second only to suffering. And that's, that's a whole nother, maybe a whole nother sermon. Second only to suffering, waiting may be the greatest teacher and trainer in godliness, maturity, genuine spirituality most of us will ever encounter. In other words, if you want to deepen your walk and your faith in the Lord, then just wait on Him. Be patient. Some of you say, okay, I get that, right? So I'm supposed to be patient, I'm supposed to wait, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to trust Him, but it's hard for me, Adam. It's difficult for me because I'm in the middle of this. I'm in the middle of this difficult time. Give, give me some things I can kind of hold on to, some things I can cling to to help me. I want to give you three things very quickly before we move on this morning. If you're struggling with waiting on the Lord, if you have this great desire to kind of outrun Him and outpace Him and figure it out before He does, I want to give you three things. Number one, it's so simple, but it's so true. Number one, you need to trust in the Lord. We have these on the screen. Now, that sounds cliche, doesn't it? Well, obviously, I need to trust on the Lord. But are you actually trusting the Lord? Do you realize that his plan is better than your plan? One of my favorite passages of scripture is Galatians chapter 4. The Old Testament had been finished 400 years of silence before the New Testament was written. If you're doing any kind of historical study of scripture, Old Testament is finished. Then we got 400 years, no prophet, no book has been written, no miracle, no nothing. 400 years, and then the Bible tells us in Galatians 4, when the time had fully come... God sent his son. See, God's timing and plan is always perfect. We need to trust him. Here's the second thing you can do. You can pray and ask God for strength to endure. Now, if you're like me, here's what your prayer looks like. Lord, I really want you to work in this situation. I want you to, I want you to fix it. And the sooner you fix it, the better. And that becomes our prayer. And there's nothing wrong with, with praying that the Lord would work. That's what he wants us to do. But have you ever considered that maybe we should pray that the Lord would give us the faith to endure the weight? That's, the, that's a different sort of prayer, isn't it? Lord, I'm going to trust you to do this, but if you don't do it today or tomorrow, next week or next month, I'm still going to trust you. In fact, Lord, I want you to give me the strength and the patience and the trust to be able to endure this difficult path that I'm walking down because I know your plan is better than mine. And the third thing you can do is try to think long term. Don't be so desperate that you rush into a bad situation. 
See, when you have eternal things in mind, and you have this idea of trust and faith in the Lord in mind, when you have this idea of perseverance and endurance in mind, it gives you a long-term view, doesn't it? It gives you a long-term understanding. It, it takes you out of the here and now, and it puts you in the future. See, here's what God understands. He, he's got an incredible plan for you, but sometimes we need to wait to see it. Now, case in point, Abram and Sarah, they don't wait, do they? They're not patient. They're not trusting the Lord in this moment. They don't have a long-term plan. Instead, they take the, the shortcut. They take the, the short-term answer, and they say, you know what, here's Hagar. Why don't you have a child with her? And so Abraham obliges, she gets pregnant, her and Sarah kind of butt heads a little bit, and she's cast off. So when we pick up the story, she's pregnant, and she's run because she's been treated harshly. Verse 7, look with me if you would in chapter 16. So the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that's beside the road to Shur, by the way, and that's on the way to Egypt. So she's probably running home. Verse 8. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Here's truth number two. Not only do we see the, the, the Lord at work in waiting sometimes and drawing us out in patience, but number two, the Lord seeks those in need. The Lord seeks those in need. Now, all through Scripture, God does this really interesting thing. If you spend time studying, you'll understand this. The Lord has kind of this knack and this tendency to be concerned with those that are less fortunate. He has this tendency to help the needy, to love the people that don't have, to love the unlovable sometimes. And we see all sorts of examples in Scripture. I want to read you just a few. You don't have to look them up, but I just want you to hear these. All through Scripture we see this pattern of the Lord helping those in need, helping the unlovable. Leviticus 23, 22. When you reap the harvest of your land, don't reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor, the Lord says. Leave some for those people that are in need. Deuteronomy chapter 24, beginning in verse 14. Don't take advantage of the hired worker who's poor and needy. Whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns, pay them their wages each day before sunset because they're poor and counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 12, Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brother, your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet... Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. James 1, 27, religious that God our Father, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and flawless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. On and on this list goes, by the way. There's this, this thread that runs all through Scripture where the Lord looks down and sees those that are oppressed, sees those that are in need, sees those that are helpless, and he seeks them out, and he reaches down to them, and he loves them. Now, some of you are saying, okay, I get that. I've seen that in Scripture. I, I mean, I understand that Old Testament. I know that Jesus did that oftentimes. 
But how does that necessarily apply to me? Well, it applies to you in, in two very clear ways. Number one, how are you helping those in need around you? That's the first thing. There are all sorts of examples of ways that we can help people around us. How are you helping people in need around you? But more importantly than that, when the Lord reaches down and loves the unlovable, isn't it a picture of our salvation? (laughs) Isn't that exactly what Christ did for you? Romans tells us very clearly, while we were still sinners... While we were people that were actively rebelling against the Lord, while we were people that were actively rebelling against Christ, while we were still sinners, Christ did what? Died for us. Wow. He says, you're very unlovable. (laughs) I mean, you've rebelled against me. You've separated yourself. You're sinning. You're in the middle of sinning. Maybe you even enjoy sinning. While you're still a sinner, Christ says, I'm going to give my life for you. What a picture of love. What a a, a picture of reaching down and rescuing and seeking out the hopeless and the helpless. One writer explained it like this. It's not as if the Lord loves the poor more than the rich or that one group is inherently more righteous than the other. However, as Christ's love for sinners reveals a concern for men who cannot provide righteousness for themselves, we, as God's people, must imitate him and share what we have with those who cannot feed themselves. In his great love, God provided for his people what they could not provide for themselves, perfect righteousness in Christ. So the question we ask ourselves very simply is this, how are we helping those that are needy? How are we loving the unlovable? How are we sharing the love of Christ with those that have not yet heard? The Lord seeks those in need, and so should we. Now verse 10 of chapter 16 as we wind this down this morning. So the angel added, right? So the angel speaking to Hagar here in the the wilderness I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Sounds like the promise to Abram, doesn't it? Verse 11, the angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant. You will give birth to a son. You will call his name Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. Verse 12, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. He will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That's why the well was called Bir Lali Roi. It's still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Here's truth number three. Sometimes the Lord prophesies. Sometimes the Lord prophesies. Hagar is in the wilderness. She's fled from her from her, her home that she's been. She's been kicked out. She's trying to go back now to Egypt. She's hopeless, she's helpless, the Lord sees her, he goes down and speaks to her and he gives her this prophecy. He says, you're pregnant, you're going to have a son and you're going to name him Ishmael. 
Now, many of you will recognize the name Ishmael, but the Islamic and some of the Jewish traditions believe that Ishmael is the father of the Arab people. In fact, Muslims believe that Muhammad is a direct descendant of Ishmael. Now, this is where worldviews collide for us. Here we are thousands of years later. This is where we begin to see very clearly the decisions we make and the actions we take have ramifications in the future. They have consequences. Now, you're probably familiar with the Middle East and the conflict, and I'm not going to get into the political side of that. You're probably well aware and can do the research on your own. But to summarize it very simply, there is dispute between the Arabs and the Jews. There has been for many, many centuries. And the dispute, again, we're kind of simplifying it, but the dispute is basically over the land. Who owns the land? Who gets to live there? Do the Arab people get to live there, or do the Jewish people get to live there? That entire discussion, that entire debate traces back to Genesis 16 and the chapters that follow and the debate between whether the land is given to Ishmael or given to Isaac. It's always interesting to me when somebody somewhere believes they're going to go to the Middle East and write a peace accord. They're going to make peace in the Middle East and and, and God bless them, I hope they can, but this has been going on for thousands of years. And it's way deeper than a piece of paper somebody's going to sign. We, we, we see this picture that when people separate themselves from the Lord and choose not to trust him, there are absolute consequences. Now, you can draw your own conclusions about Ishmael and who he's going to become and how he's going to treat other people. It's very clear in Scripture. But I think we see kind of two main failures of Abraham that I want you to see and I want to kind of end with this. The first failure of Abraham was a couple of chapters ago when he failed to trust the Lord and he went to Egypt. Now that seemed awfully insignificant the first time we read it because he went and he did some dumb things, but he came out with a lot of money and it seemed pretty good. But when he came out of Egypt that first time, he brought with him a servant named Hagar. The second time he fails the Lord is when he doesn't listen to the promise of a descendant. He takes matters into his own hand He marries Hagar, has a son with her named Ishmael, and the rest, as they say, is history. Now, I want to be very careful not to read into our lives an event that will affect millions of people for centuries to come, okay? But I think we we ought to be awfully clear with ourselves scripturally that when we fail to trust the Lord, bad things happen. When we trust the Lord... When we put our faith in him, when we give him our lives, he does great things through us every single time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's always clear and compelling, Father. It's challenging to us as we begin to think about our own actions, our own faith, our own trust, Lord, our ability to have patience in times of crisis our ability to trust you in difficult situations, the the challenge and the reminder, Lord, that when we fail to trust you, bad things are going to happen, Lord. Help us to understand we can't fast forward your plan. It's not about what we want, Father. It's about seeking you. It's about trusting you. It's about putting our faith in you, Lord. So I I just pray right now for the people that are in this congregation, whatever we're dealing with, Whatever we're struggling with, Lord, whatever, whatever path we're walking down in our lives, I pray you'd give us the strength and the courage to be faithful to you. 
to put our trust and our hope in you, Father. Not to fast forward your plan, but to embrace the wait, understanding you've got something better than we could ever hope or imagine waiting ahead for us. And Lord, when that happens, we're going to give you the honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you a chance, as we always do, to come to the altar and pray. Maybe you need to pray about something you're dealing with. Maybe there's a situation in your life you're struggling with. Maybe you need to pray for patience or hope or trust. Maybe for the first time you've been convicted of your sins and you need to repent of your sins and accept Christ. Maybe you want to join our church. But this is your time to respond. You come as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.